The law runner realized as he typed his notes for this rumination that in fact it was a pit of acid and not a keyboard. He fell in, but not head first as he would have wished. No, instead, he ended up laying down and managed to crawl himself out of the pit, slowly, screamingly, the agony of his melted flesh pouring off of his bones. He prayed desperately for death to claim him, and gratefully, hours later, it finally would, when a woodpecker comes by and chops out his eyes. The end. And let that set the tone. Before we actually get into this, I want to give a bit of a warning, proviso, if you haven't played this game. This game uh, is a little bleak. It's extremely bleak. Uh, it is very dark, and everything sucks, and everyone's out to get you, and there's no such thing as being a good person, right? So that's, that's the tone of the game we're going for. Some people that bothers, some people it doesn't. That's why that warning is there. The second warning is gameplay-wise, because this game, and we will discuss this in more detail in a minute, but it likes to grind you into the dust and kill you in many, many ways. We encountered, uh, I think, like seven separate deaths throughout the course of this, and each one has its own little descriptor. Like, at one point, a bunch of bandits uh, defeated me in combat, but I lived. So what they did was they nailed me to a wall, and as I lay, as I dangled there screaming, they decided to play a game, and whoever could hit my eyeballs with an arrow would actually be able to rifle through my pockets and take my stuff. It took them a while to get there. These are the kind of things that happen in this game. And if you try to be a nice or decent person, it goes badly for you. Yeah, but uh, anyways, with those two provisos out of the way, well, you could see why that's a warning, but also kind of an indicator. Because if this is your type of game, you're going to like this game. This is a very well-crafted game for its particular niche, or niche if you prefer. Um, it's... Uh, Javan kept calling it a mastery game. Let's start with the broadest definition. So it's an RPG, right? CRPG, which you know, stands for computer RPG, but it's that doesn't mean anything. It's it's a Baldur's Gate, it's a Planescape Torment, you know, Pillars of Eternity. You get the idea. That kind of a game, right? It's actually very similar to Neverwinter Nights One specifically, even though it came out in 2017. But that's what happens when you have a game in development for a decade. Anyways, <clears throat> or maybe it was 2015. Point is, it came out relatively recently. Top-down, RPG, interact with stuff, main stats, combat stats, uh, civil stats, reputation bars, okay? And that's the core function of it. But the game's actually pretty short. We slammed through the game, granted we were using a walkthrough at several points, in about a day. It was an eight-hour run. And in that period of time, we managed to get three endings and die about seven times in, in the process. That's a good thing, though. This is the first and most important thing about this game that I want to impress upon you. And I'm saying this first on the off chance you don't want to be spoiled for the rest of it. And so you, you're deciding based on this rumination if, you, if you're interested in the game or not. So if this doesn't hook you, nothing else probably will. So the game is so short because what you're supposed to do is start a new character and then try stuff and then fail and probably die. Or at the very least, softlock yourself because it's very possible to encounter a quest where you cannot progress. And then start a new character, and start a new character, and start a new character. None of it's voice acted, of course, so the speed of the game's progress depends entirely on how fast you read. Those eight hours I mentioned, that was me reading all that stuff out loud. 
which means it would probably go substantially faster if I was just reading at my own pace. Granted, I read quickly, but in any case, whatever rate at which you read is faster than the rate at which I speak, ergo, it's even faster than the eight hours I just mentioned, right? So you're supposed to go through and try stuff. This is the mastery system. You don't... I'm trying to think how to explain this. Obviously, you do have stats. You have HP, you have combat, you have damage, you have weapon, you have equipment, you have items, right? It is an RPG. But how well you do doesn't really depend on your stats so much as your stats are mandatory for progress. So there's no dice rolls when it comes to anything other than combat. So if you are trying to accomplish a certain task, you need X skill, the end. If you have five in that skill or, or higher, you're good. No dice roll. Make sense? So while those stats are required and mandatory and the whole leveling process is necessary, unless you know which stats you want to do which actions, those stats mean nothing. This is, at all, at, in one moment, the greatest positive and negative to the gameplay for me personally, is this mastery system, because it entirely depends on your knowledge of what you're doing. Let me give you two examples of what I'm talking about. There's a section in the first town where you can walk down an alleyway. And in the process, a woman comes up and says, oh my god, help, help. And it's obviously a trap, right? Okay. Thing is, if you don't have the stats to be able to recognize that it's a trap, you don't. So she just steals your gold. Now, I noticed that because I'm not an idiot, but there, nothing in the game will indicate that. Now, you're probably thinking, well, that's terrible. Well, yeah. But if you know that that's there and you know which stats you need for that, which is, I believe, perception and consequently reputation with the Thieves Guild, I think there's another stat too, then you can interact with her and call her on it be like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. And then you can actually have some kind of dialogue with her and open up different options for the next quest because of that. So the mastery of knowing what you needed for that encounter is what enabled you to level what you needed for the encounter. Make sense? Second option. Uh, in the first town, one of the major goals is to interact with the local lord. And Titus, I believe, was his name. So you're like, hey, buddy. And he's like, hey, what's up? And you're like, hey, I got this map. And he's like, okay, cool. And then you just leave, right? Well, in my various playthroughs, uh, I came up with four different ways to interact with this guy. One of which was to be a female, dress up as a noble by buying nobles' dress. So I, I needed the money. So I needed to know where the merchant is. I needed to know which dress to buy. And I needed to dress up. And then I needed the impersonate skill and the lore skill, both at, I think, four, in order to be able to successfully bluff my way in and pretend to be a noble. Then I needed the etiquette skill to be able to smooth talk the lord himself. Or I could just walk up the front door and, uh, you know, be announced here. And the guy I tried to kill earlier, no, the guy I threatened to leave town but spared his life, well, he's ousted me to the local lord. This is actually probably the funniest moment of the playthrough, because what ended up happening is I spent several hours waiting in the queue before to, to talk to the Lord who summoned me before I reached him, and he said, oh, yes, uh, here's the guy, you remember him? The one you threatened to, to, with bodily harm and told him to leave town? And before you can even excuse yourself or try to come up with an explanation, because it doesn't let you, he kicks you out. The third option, and the fourth option was, was just the boring one, but the third option is... Make sure you go and rob this one corpse in the graveyard and therefore have a, uh, like, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's like the rope with the hook at the end so you can grapple up and climb over the wall and have a sufficient skill in sneak, uh, perception, critical hit, 
And I think etiquette was the last requirement. And if you do that, you can sneak up around the outside of the wall, sneak into the place, kill a bunch of guards. That's what the critical, critical hit is for. No combat. Just you, you kill them because you have critical hit. And then talk to the Lord and then etiquette your way into being like, oh, yeah, no, this is all totally justified. <laughs> you see my point? Knowing what you need for what is the gameplay. It is the core gameplay loop. And that is why this game is either going to be awesome for you or terrible, depending on your preferences. And that's why I wanted to start with that. Once you actually know what you're doing, you can start mapping out ideas. Okay, well, if I do this, I can do this. But if I have this item, I can actually interact with this guy over here. If I get to this part in the game, there's going to be this thing that requires a crystal. There's a bunch of crystals I can get. But if I happen to have done Feng's quest several, you know, an hour ago, I can actually go ahead and use the gem he gives me from that in order to unlock this, and I don't have to do this other thing. There's all sorts of things like that. And when I say all sorts, I mean dozens, if not hundreds. And that is the core appeal of the game, too. You're supposed to go through it and smash your head into the wall and die and fail, but you're supposed to take note, because the game will tell you when those checks happen. Most of the time, not all the time. That's that's the only caveat, and that's why that ended up being a negative as well as a positive. Because it doesn't always tell you there's something that you can do there. But for the most part, it'll say, oh, this is a lore check, but you didn't succeed. So you can jot down, you know, get a notepad, okay, I need, I need more lore to talk to... To talk to this person, okay. And then, oh, well, I, if, if I could climb up the wall, find a way to climb up the wall. And you take notes, and you figure out how to progress. Or you use a walkthrough. And you can see why that is both appealing and frustrating, depending on your play style. So if you're the kind of person that appeals to, or someone who's willing to use a walkthrough, please allow me to suggest that you do try this game out. This seems to be one of those hidden gems, and I certainly never even heard of this. In fact, until the day before I started streaming this, I didn't even know it was an RPG. <laughs> no idea what this was. I was just, what, what am I playing? Um, let's talk about gameplay a little bit more. So I mentioned uh, there's base stats, combat stats, civil stats. Civil stats is obvious. Those are skill checks in your classic sense of the word. I have a sufficient lore or sneaking or talking or whatever in order to be able to skill check my way through dialogue. As I've mentioned before, the choose-your-own-adventure style gameplay is most of the gameplay. It is extremely easy, that's the wrong way to phrase that, it is extremely possible to go ahead and make your way through this game without ever actually touching combat. I feel like that's by design. I, what I mean by that is I feel like that's the intended route, because combat feels a little vestigial on top of that. We'll get to that in just a second. So while it is a choose-your-own-adventure, which is perfectly sufficient for gameplay purposes, again, it still keeps into account your inventory, your reputation with everyone, and your skill checks. So, and, and your stat checks, and your combat checks. <laughs> one of the endings, this is a very minor spoiler, one of the endings, I literally got to into the ending, and during the ending dialogue, I needed to pass an int check and a con check. If my intelligence wasn't seven or higher, and my constitution wasn't seven or higher, that's game, and I just lost in the ending. <laughs> but it was, so I succeeded, because, you know, I had a walkthrough. <clears throat> so I knew I needed those stats. But... Raising and, and leveling those is kind of part of the point. The game also very much encourages you to not spread yourself out. And that makes sense, especially if you're not using a walkthrough. If you're not using a walkthrough, you should probably pick one or two social skills and one combat skill with one combat bonus skill. So you got critical strike, block, and dodge. 
Don't double up and block and dodge. They're actually mutually exclusive, so you're actually wasting points doing that. So pick, block, or pick, dodge, depending if you're doing a two-handed weapon or a one-handed weapon, and then focus on that. Your armor, you know, that's a thing. It lowers your chance to hit, stuff like that. Uh, you, you want to focus. You want to really narrow in on at least one specific thing, maybe two, possibly three, unless you know what you're doing, which is going back to the mastery thing I talked about. Because my end of thing was like I had eight lore and then three of this and two of this and five of this and six of this, and it was just all over the place. Now, <clears throat> uh, I, I do want to mention especially the inventory thing. It does absolutely take into account your inventory, and it's not quite at the level of an adventure game. But it's definitely leaning in that direction. I, I kind of hinted at this earlier. At the beginning of the game, I could do a quest for Fang where he gives me a necklace. At the end of the game, while I'm repairing a mechanism of the ancients, I could use that necklace to be able to progress through that particular puzzle. You see what I mean when I mention it's kind of adventure gamey. And the, what it ends up boiling down to is hold on to everything. You never know when you might need a use for it, right? I should probably mention that it's also exceptionally possible, don't want to say easy, to absolutely crack the game in half. Uh, certain skills are overpowered, certain builds are very overpowered. And if you want to go a combat route, well, let's just say that alchemy and crafting is the way to go. But I suppose I should talk about the combat. Because I, you, I don't have much to say about Choose Your Own Adventure, right? It's, it's what it is, and it's good. Because it's a Choose Your Own Adventure with inventory and stats, which, I honestly, I'd play a game that's just that. As long as those are written, which this is. Combat is bland. That's the nicest thing I'm going to say about it. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it in the strictest sense, especially given how optional it is. But combat is not designed to be particularly engaging or fun. You have one hand and a second hand and a belt. And those are the items you have. So you can like put like a bomb or whatever on your belt or a flask for a buff potion. Those are your options in combat. While you're striking, you have the chance to try and do a cold strike which will do a, do a debuff. Uh, so, for example, if you hit their legs, it lowers their dodge chance. If you hit their arms, it lowers their chance to hit. If you hit their head, it reduces their perception. If you hit their chest, it... Oh, no, if you do, if your head, it reduces their... Uh, it gives them a bleed effect. If you hit their chest, it reduces their constitution. I think that's everything. You can also do a power attack, which is designed to get through armor. A regular attack, which is just a regular attack. Or a fast attack, which is designed to hit easier. And th that that's combat. I've just explained combat to you. Now, there are a few other nuances. I don't want to sound too dismissive here. But you can see what I mean. It's fairly vanilla and not nearly as fleshed out as the incredibly dynamic and multitudinous of options that exist within the Choose Your Own Adventures with Stats and Items side of the gameplay, which clearly received the lion's share of the development time. And to good effect, I might add. That being said, if you want to go combat, do your research. Because what's going to happen is you're going to fire up the game... And you're going to be like, all right, I'm ready to go. And then you're going to die because you didn't know what you were doing. Let me give you just two examples. I've actually already told you one. Block and dodge. In the overwhelming majority of video games that have those stats, what happens is it'll do a roll to hit against you know just their chance to hit, regardless of everything else. Then a second roll to see if you dodge it. And then a third roll to see if you block it. And in most games, block is, is a partial thing, so there will be like another roll under the block if it successfully blocks. In this game, there's a chance to hit, and then there's a chance to block or dodge, whichever is higher. Like I said, mutually exclusive, so you're literally just wasting experience if you raise both. Also, each weapon is improved by different stats. So even though strength sounds like the melee thing, if you're using a dagger or a spear, for example, or a couple other weapons, that's not going to do anything for you. 
And remember, you never raise your base skills. Whatever you design a character creation is it. That's also true for your HP as well. Whatever your initial HP is, that's it for the rest of the game. You'll be able to raise your combat skills, your social skills, your reputations. There's even traits you could get for doing certain quests in certain ways. But you will never be able to touch those base skills. So remember that when building your character. There are several ways to build a character that actually works, even if you're going for pure combat. But again, there's not much to it. And I don't have much else to add to it, so moving on. The inventory and system is... It's, it's Fallout. It's... No, not Fallout 3. Fallout 2 is actually the game that I'm most reminded of for going through this game. And it does have a lot of the problems of those old interfaces, and I did ding the game for it. There are several things that are just cumbersome, for lack of a better way to put it. There's a lot of clicks to get to certain things. You can't rebind certain key bindings. It's just a lot of very small irritations that kind of build up. But again, I do want to say that this is not me trying to bash the game, but just rather giving you a bit of a warning because... Well, it is something that you have to deal with. And if you're fine with that, then you're fine with that. And if you're not, you're not. Um, I think this is a good time to do our segue talk. The quest design in this game is redonkulous. I mentioned already that the game is kind of short. Did I mention that? I kind of did, because I mentioned you're supposed to go through I don't think I've really talked about this. Let me, let me rewind a second. If I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. I'm a little tired. I've done a lot of work today. The game is very short, right? I know I said that because I mentioned how quickly we ran, we ran through it. But there's a lot of advantages to that shortness. Um, one of the advantages is on the gameplay axis. Anybody who's ever done any kind of game design, even if it's literally pen and paper game design, knows that the more branching you make your game, the more insane it gets, the longer it is. This is one of the reasons why most people, myself included, never expected Mass Effect 3 to really follow through on the promise of acknowledging all your choices, despite their claims to the contrary, because that's three games which are pretty long. And again, the longer it is, the harder it is to branch. Truly branching narrative usually doesn't exist in gaming. That's usually the purview of text adventure games like the, uh, the Choice of Robot, or the Choice of series, for example. But for such a short game, they can branch more. So... You've got your three towns, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, there's there's other areas. There's side areas you can go to. There's several dungeons you can go through. But there are three towns in this game. And that's my point. When you're going through the first town, there's a lot of different quests there that have a lot of different ways to progress through them. I would say, on average, each quest has at least three ways to go through it. And that may not sound like a lot, but consider that every quest has three distinct ways to go through it each different path affecting other quests, and you start to see why even three paths per quest is a huge deal. This is a massively branching game, even from a purely gameplay axis. This is, again, why you kind of choose your path. But the other thing that's interesting, and I could be wrong about this, so please forgive me, but near as I can tell and from my research, you're not supposed to be capable of doing all the quests on a single playthrough. Now, you're probably thinking, well, duh, it's mutually exclusive, but I mean being capable of doing it. Like, it's not possible to have the points necessary for all the skills you need to do all the quests. I myself actually failed several quests going through this because no other option. And that's another thing you kind of get used to in this game, is failing a quest and moving on. I think I mentioned that before, too. So, hugely branching gameplay, which, of course, is the perfect segue to talk about the story. Now, I've already mentioned how bleak and despairing it is. The core hook is, of course, pretty basic. The Roman Empire 
it's it's fantasy Rome. It's another planet. But there was this great, heavily inspired by Rome empire. And then there was this big ancient war, and nobody's really entirely sure what happened. There's they talk about gods and demons and all sorts of weird stuff. But whatever actually happened, the empire collapsed, and now we've had decades of descent into pitiable city-stateness, and that's where we're at now. That's why everything's kind of a mess, is because things never got better, and, well, it's kind of sucked ever since. That's the basic premise. So whoever you play, you're playing someone at the bottom of the bottom rung of the ladder. <laughs> now, I mentioned the branchingness. Well, this is how the narrative is also similarly branching, because what you do has a distinct consequence, narratively, obviously, on what happens as well. I've already actually given you an example. I mentioned the gentleman, Cassius, I believe was the name, who I spared because I didn't want to be evil. And so he then ratted me out to the Lord who I was going to go work for on behalf of things. And so as a, and so it's, okay, well, that sucks. One of the things you can do is swear your fealty to a Lord. You can then immediately violate that and swear your fealty to another Lord. But if you do so, that will have consequences as well. Towards the end of the game, if you don't have a certain reputation or don't have certain information, you will be forced into combat by a bunch of religious zealots as soon as you enter the third town. Unless, of course, narratively speaking, you've done a few different things. And you get my point. It doesn't just change how you go through the quest mechanically on the gameplay axis, but the story changes and evolves based on how you're progressing through it. It is probably one of the closest games I've seen to playing Dungeons & Dragons with a GM. There's clearly an overarching pseudo-narrative, but at the same time, if you ask me what the plot of this game is, I couldn't answer you. Because what the plot is depends on how you play through it. You determine the plot, for good and for bad. One of our playthroughs, we didn't really have much of a plot. It was actually very funny. I'm going to go ahead and spoil something now at this point. We had this big quest, so we go, we talk to the First Lord. And then we peace out, and the First Lord gives us a quest. Go and find this temple. Okay, cool. So then we go to the Second Lord, and the Second Lord says, You will serve me, and said, like, okay. And then we peace out, because we can tell where the winds are going. The second lord then has an assassination attempt on him which fails, so he takes over the city and starts conquering the nearby territories. So we run to the third city, and then immediately peace out. Don't even meet the lord there. We just get some information from a particular NPC, and then we're gone. And then the third city is conquered by the second lord, and the first lord is now just kind of waiting for his own sublimation into the new empire of the second lord. And then we go find the temple, and we run into a door, and I love this. One of the options is... Well, there's a door. And rather than doing the puzzle or brute face forcing your way through it or having the items necessary or having the skills necessary, you can just leave. And if you just leave, you go back to the First Lord and say, yeah, sorry, couldn't find the temple. The end. <laughs> uh, by the way, unlike the aforementioned Mass Effect 3, this game has a little bit more than three endings. I would say it has a bare minimum of like nine, but even that's not really quite getting it across because... There's, it'd be more accurate to say there's nine ending states, but the ending you get depends entirely on how you got to that exact trigger. Trigger, makes sense? So this trigger will trigger the ending slide, but there's a lot of stuff you can do on the way there, and that changes how the ending actually evolves, right? A whole bunch of stuff like that. I've been kind of dodging around spoilers because that's my usual thing. So this is probably the good time to go ahead and bow out if you don't want spoilers and you do want to play this game for yourself. Three, two, one... So, <laughs> turns out there were gods, except they're actually aliens. Uh, or extra-dimensional beings, we're not 100% sure about that, because it's kind of up to you to decide that. But either way, you can end up serving one, or killing them all, or 
consuming one and becoming a god yourself. <laughs> Which we did get that ending. That was funny. <laughs> we, uh... Ooh, that's, there's this line where it's like the person who helped you, you know, with, with this whole surgical procedure immediately bows and you, and you think to yourself, yes, he will be very well venerated because he is the very first person to bow before us, but he will not be the last. Dun, dun, dun. It's, it's just super, just horrifying. Um, there's a, there's the possibility of just becoming a drifter. We actually got that ending as well. You can join several of the lords. You can kill all the lords. You can fire off a nuke. Yeah, the old Roman Empire had nukes, by the way. So you can use a nuke to kill a god, or you can use a nuke to kill uh, everyone. You can accidentally wake up a god. This is and, and, and I keep saying god, I should just call them aliens. You end up waking up an alien, it ends up killing the second city, just because it was noisy. There's an overall vibe of what I like to call shatter points, which I, I freely admit I stole that term from Star Wars, but it's a good term and I, I continue to use it. The idea is that there's critical moments where this moment in history matters. What happens here changes everything and can lead to sea changes. I mention that because the theory goes in real life that real life does have shatter points, and then there's the other 99% of history where stuff just happens and it doesn't really have a large-scale effect, you know. A little bit of the, the water splashes onto the shore and then just dies off and it doesn't change anything, right? In the stream of time, kind of a parallel here. This game is very obviously set at a shatter point. There's these three city-states. They are rotten and decaying and barely keeping it together. They are desiccated husks of city-states. They're barely... They, they can't even keep most of their people fed. Uh, there are people of wealth and power who have the great and venerated ta uh, ability to have things like regular sources of food, and water that's caught from rain. And that's like the upper class of the nobility. The game does a great deal to constantly uh, expo exposit upon its world, entirely through natural dialogue. The writing in this game is fantastic, by the way. Easily its best point. I mean, the short gameness and the, the replay value, that's great on the gameplay axis. On the narrative axis, it's the writing. The game is extremely tightly written, and you can tell that a lot of time and attention and polish and care was put into that. Huge props to the writing staff. The, But this is the other way that the zoomed-in thing focuses. I told you I'd come back to it. I didn't forget. The other way the zoomed-in focus helps is because everything matters. Every little thing you do, every interaction you, you have, every NPC you meet is significant because the camera is zoomed in so far. I mean, we're dealing with three city-states who are on the verge of falling apart, and you can actually finish knocking them over, or help venerate one, or help venerate all, or take over all, or a few other options, as I just mentioned. Because everything is so low-tier that the fact that you are low-tier isn't really a hindrance. It just means you're on equal footing with everyone else, as long as you know what you're doing. And so there's a wonderful tone and feel of down-to-earth storytelling. And I hate to keep praising this point, but it's so rare. It's been getting slowly less rare, I've noticed, in, in recent times, especially as indie games have been kind of slowly you know, becoming more and more of a thing and more prolific. But I've noticed a very common trend. This also affects movies and shows, but especially games, where it always has to be big, it has to be stakes of the world, or it has to be murders, or it has to be the end of this civilization and the whole galaxy will be destroyed. And I enjoy a big scale story the rest of the next, as much as the next person. I enjoy Final Fantasy IV. 
But you know what I also like is a tale of three cities who are on the verge of falling apart. And the 15 or so people we it's probably under, it's like 30 people we meet through it. I like encountering Master Feng, who is literally just absolutely, there's this wonderful bit. If you play a lore master, you start as his apprentice, and he gives you this whole speech about how you have to ham it up, right? Anytime someone asks you to look at something from the old world, you'd be like, oh my god, this is, this is a very rare and powerful thing. You were smart. You were wise to bring this to me. It's going to cost you 50 Imperials for me to look into this more. And obviously it's a fake, because this is just garbage, because most of what people find is garbage, right? Because not everything is that shatter point when it comes to technology either, right? Most most of the stuff you're going to find, you know, you find a cup of the old world, it's like, okay, and? If you are not playing his apprentice, you go to him at a certain point, you can go to him, and get a map appraised, and he looks at the map like, oh my god, this map is... This is a rare and powerful map. You were wise to bring this to me. And I'm, I'm just laughing as I'm listening to this. Having a hundred Imperials, that's the, the coinage of the thing, is a large amount of money. One of the best weapons you can get in the game is an iron sword. <laughs> Most of the armor you have is, is vestiges of stuff that was made hundreds of years ago. The whole game is so down to the earth, you feel like you're, you're crawling around like a snake in more ways than one. And I feel that is very, very much to the game's positive. I'd like to discuss the themes of the work, but I think I kind of already have. The theme is pretty obvious. This is a shatter point at the, at the, in a post-apocalypse, and this shatter point is where it's going to go next. Is it going to renew itself? Are we going to pull ourselves back from the brink, which is one of the endings I got? Are you going to take over? Are you going to smash over everything? Is this going to be the dying gasps of the old world? And it's all entirely dependent on how you play through, both in gameplay and in narrative. This is a very interesting and fascinating game. And if you've gotten this far in the video, I do hope you either enjoyed it yourself or are thinking about picking it up yourself. Either way, I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time.